0: Hello! The season finale is upon us of Live and Let's Discuss. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Noah. And we're talking about the Roger Moore classic, The Spy Who Loved Me, and the most hated Ian Fleming novel, The Spy Who Loved Me, and the novelization by Christopher Wood, The Spy Who Loved Me. We're going to start off with the Fleming book, which won't take too long. Um I'm sorry everyone this is probably going to be a long one for for you all there's a lot to talk about compared to what we've previously talked about with the spy with this with this bond because this is the first time we have a novel then a film that has nothing to do with the novel and then a novelization to the film that tries to feel Like a Fleming novel. So, The Spy Who Loved Me by Ian Fleming is about, oh God, I don't remember her name. Vivian Michelle. Vivian Michelle and her, her terrible love life up until she's traveling across North America and is just doing a quick job at a hotel being like a hostess, basically. And two thugs from the Mafia show up and hold her hostage. And little do they know that Bond is on a mission to find Spectre and happens to stop in over there. And he deals with the thugs in the last third of the book.
1: I think last third is kind of generous.
0: It's the third, like, if it's a three-act structure, it's the third act.
1: Yeah, but really this is, which we have said before, this is like a short
0: story. It's a turned short into a novel. Oh, gosh. So, when we, in our other podcast, uh, King of Our Nightmares, we talked about this a bit with Carrie. Carrie feels like a good novella that got expanded into a novel, but it doesn't really work. And in Carrie, they put in all these, like, articles on, like, telekinetic energy and, like, telekinesis and stuff. It's weird. Yeah, and, like, parts
1: from, like, books written by the characters in the story, like, in the future, telling us what has happened. But as we are reading, this will happen, which you can argue it's an interesting enough, like, writing style. Mm -hmm. Like, there's something to it. But yeah, it's it's just because they told King that's too short. You have to make it, like, longer.
0: But with The Spy Who Loved Me, it really feels like a story, the last, like, little bit of it, feels like a story that would have been in his last collection, Octopussy in the Living Daylights, where you have something like 007 in New York.
1: Which Your favorite.
0: Is, oh, that's that's about on the same par, Those two are horrible, but they're like different writing styles where Double Seven New York is talking about New York. Um, But you also have stuff like Property of a Lady is in there, which is that egg story. Which I don't think is that, that... It's not, but like we will get to this next season when we talk about For Your Eyes Only, but For Your Eyes Only, just to be brief, all of those stories feel like they were written at the same time, and they have a Similar writing style. Octopussy and Living Daylights was um, released after Fleming's death, and, it's and just it was
1: like, it was basically just like leftover.
0: Yes, um, Octopussy and the Living Daylights; those two stories feel like they fit together. But Property of the Lady was written for a magazine, 007 in New York. It was written for something else too. I, I think some sort of, like, anthology or, like, a travel report or something, but yeah. Yeah, so, like, those later were put in, because I don't think initially they came out together.
1: No, because that's, that's why the title is Octopussy and the Living Daylights, because only those two stories were in it originally mm-hmm. in the 60s.
0: Yeah, so they added those in later... And it almost feels like the last little bit of Spy Who Loved Me would have been put in that. But we, the more interesting thing is what Fleming claimed that a fan wrote it and that he published it under his name.
1: Yeah, because he was kind of like
0: embarrassed by it after the fact. Well, the thing is, so it's first person from Vivian's perspective. Talks about her first love, who was a jerk. And then this weird German doctor guy that she was seeing for a while, who was who forced her to get an abortion. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Um, and then she's just like, I'm done. I'm done with this. And like decides to go on a trip to North America. And that's where we get where she meets bond. Who's like the best lover she's ever had.
1: And we should point out, this sounds like a quick backstory for her love life. Um, This is about
0: 150 pages. At least. Yeah. It feels like 500 pages. This (laughs) is Fleming's shortest novel in the Bond series, and it feels like the longest. Yeah. It's it's bad. It's bizarre. It feels misogynistic when it's Mm. from the woman's perspective she's clearly treated like garbage.
1: But But... but that's the thing. I don't know if this was his point, maybe because I don't really know, understand his intention here because I think Fleming said he wrote this book because people were saying, Oh, James Bond is so awesome. And, and women wanted a man like James Bond in real life. And he was like, no, James Bond is horrible. If he was a real person in real life, terrible guy. So he wrote this, but in this book, Bond saves like a woman from two rapists, which makes him look really awesome. Because this isn't like he's not on a mission or something. That's just something he does. He stumbles into it.
0: I will say there is one good thing in this book. There's one little paragraph in there when she and it's either when they're in coitus or right after she says he can never love anyone. This is a man that you cannot like own. You cannot be with, which makes honor Majesty's secret service very irritating. Cause that happens next. And he decides that let's get married <sighs> because that, that she does this little analysis of bond. And honestly, it's the only reason in my opinion to even read this book. Because she can tell that something had happened to him. The the, the events at Casino Royale are still very much at play with his psyche when it comes to women. And you are cutting out hardcore.
1: Yeah, I know. Internet. It's
0: garbage. Yeah. You just need to move here. The internet's kind of garbage, and you have to pay a lot of money for it. <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, it's why you love me. It, I mean, it, I it would ha-
1: recommend. I would recommend reading it once
0: the book. Yeah,
1: because I I do um, think it's an interesting enough experiment for Fleming.
0: Yeah, it's it it's different. It does reference Spectre for about two seconds. Because this takes place, we should just say, this takes place right after Thunderball, right before Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Where in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, the novel they've talked about that he's been hunting for Spectre for a while and he can't find them. This is one of those things. Because he he ended up, he had just gotten out of like a firefight or something with a possible lead to Spectre, to, to Blofeld. And it went nowhere. The yeah. person ended up dying,
1: <laughs> which sounded like it would be a more interesting book, a more which interesting I wish story. Was at
0: least a short story, because we're going to start next season. We're going to start getting into the Fleming short stories,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which are wonderful. And this could have been a decent short story.
1: Yeah, just imagine the final part of this book. We just begin the story, this woman in distress, mm-hmm. and then suddenly Bond shows up, saves leave, her
0: leave good stuff. In f- her from her perspective, too. Yeah. That would work. But this is just, it's too long, and it's too much uncomfortable nothing. But anyway, let's get into the film. Because you've told me and I didn't do the research for it, that when Fleming said talked about making The Spy Who Loved Me into a movie, he said, don't use the story.
1: Yes, famously, he put it in the contract. Like, you can use the title, Spy Who Loved Me. You can't use anything from the actual book. Nothing
0: from the story. Yes, so we open with two well we the film opens with two nuclear submarines one british and one russian although we don't see the russian one taken we're told that it's also taken by a mysterious force they are just disappeared they're taken away and uh just disappeared no one knows where they are um both the british government and the russian government hear about it at the same time which in the film it's general what's is, what is his name for the russian general gogol in his first time actually being this character who's going to be a character for a little while that just shows up periodically he shows up uh,
1: in every movie up until living daylights that's his last appearance
0: yes in the book, it's the head of Schmerz, which is Colonel Nickton. Mm-hmm, yeah. Who um, is way more aggressive and sinister. Creepy. Well, he feels like a male version of Rosa Klebb, which I yeah. think was the point. He's gross. He's a pervert. And he like has nasty dentures, which did give me a chuckle that he doesn't take care of his teeth and he's not going to take care of his dentures either. Well, of course, um they the the Russians or Smash in the novel uh they send their best agent on the do- on the job, which in the film has the code name of Triple X which you either think of Vin Diesel or um oh god, who who was Triple X in State of the Union? It was ice cube <laughs> or or you think of porn, which I think was the, the point. Yes. Who's uh, Major Anya Amazov, which in the movie they barely ever say her first name, where Roger Moore calls her Anya. But it, to me, it looks like how you'd spell Anya. But I don't, I don't know. That's a complaint (laughs) I have with the film. And she's out. I think in the book, it's by the Dead Sea. She's with another member of Smash. They're not supposed to be in a relationship, but they're secretly in love. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Her her boyfriend is sent off to deal with James Bond, who James Bond has been set up in the Alps. I think that he's in the Alps or He's Lake. in
1: Austria. Yeah.
0: He's in Austria. He's with a woman who it's clearly Smash has set him up to be murdered. Or just the Russians have set him up to be ru- murdered in the movie. We need to make this clear. There is no, there's only one reference to Smash ever in the Bond films, and that's in From Russia with Love. At least Which that t- I remember.
1: Yeah, which they had to keep it in because otherwise the title wouldn't make any sense. And I mean, there's one reference in Living Daylights with the smeared spionum or whatever,
0: which is Smash. So there is no... There basically is no Smash in the films. Mm -hmm. Smash was added by Christopher Woods in the novel, which is a nice touch. But we get we get a real realization of how violent this book is. When bonds with this woman in a cat in the cabin, he opens up, I think it's a wardrobe or a closet and a naked dead woman falls out. That's been like ho- brutally murdered. And he realizes, Oh, it's a trap. Whereas in the film, he gets a freaking message. That's a piece of paper that comes out of the bond watch, which thankfully there are no bond Watches in in the Spy Who Loved Me. The gadgets are put to a minimum because mm-hmm. it feels like in the Roger Moore films, there's always a watch that does something to get him out of trouble, and that's obnoxious. Bond should just use his mind to get out of these situations.
1: Now that you were mentioning the watches, I was thinking of the scene in, like, Spectre with the exploding one.
0: There was no time to die.
1: No, that was Spectre. Was Remember, it? Daniel Craig has this terrible one-liner, Doesn't Time Fly? And then his girlfriend throws it, and it explodes, and it scars Blofeld, Christoph Waltz. Oh, that's
0: right, okay. because. I was Deliving. thinking. I was thinking of No Time to Die when he holds the watch up to the guy, the Cyclops guy who has oh, the eye, yeah. and he's like, I, I, "Q, your watch blew his mind." Which is they're equally bad.
1: Yeah, I mean that one was so bad it was actually kind of awesome. I kind—I I would give it that.
0: Uh, I I kind of love that, and I think Daniel Craig did that himself. I like to think that.
1: He did it himself? He actually exploded this guy's eyeball? Yeah, you know,
0: he just... A very dedicated actor. He killed a stuntman who never said anything. (laughs) Anyway, okay. So, Bond Bond takes off on the skis, and we have a a ski chase, which I think is the first of the more ski chases, which became a thing through Mm -hmm. pretty much most of his films.
1: Yeah, and watching it this time, I had flashbacks because I watched A View to a Kill not too long which ago.
0: almost the same.
1: Yes. Except but... for The Beach Boys. Yeah, the music. Oh my God. It's better in this movie. Yes. The movie doesn't have John Barry, but it has decent music.
0: The Oh yeah, we need to talk about the score, which is Marvin... Oh God, what is this? Hamlish, name? I think. Marvin Hamlish, who makes... A wonderful disco Bond theme. Now, people are probably cringing thinking of that, but it's really unnecessarily good. This is one of my favorite Bond soundtracks. Mm. It's so fun. I I literally will put the track Bond 77, which is the disco like remix of the Bond theme, while I drive. Like, on a regular basis. Like, I, I just find it so enjoyable. But um, anyway, so he kills Anya's boyfriend with the ski pole. He shoots him with it. And in the, I think the book, he just throws it.
1: I don't think Maybe, maybe I remember there was something different in the book.
0: Well, it involves the ski pole and it's very graphic, but it's a reference to on her majesty's secret service when he kills that guy with the with the ski pole Mm. it's a it's a reference to to that like straight up and it's just as graphic as it was in the book and he of course bond escapes by jumping off a cliff and literally releases a parachute with the union jack which i love this is this is great i love it Especially in the book, because there's a dude that just has this British pride as he looks at this guy in the distance <laughs> parachuting down.
1: Yeah, but, but what I loved about it is they play the Bond theme at the perfect moment. Oh, yeah. When, when he opens it up. And I would say this pre-credit sequence alone... Mm -hmm. is kind of more enjoyable than the previous two roger moore bonds yes yeah because you immediately realize okay they got it now third film with roger moore they finally got it Mm -hmm. What to do with him
0: well another thing that i find enjoyable about this is that in the film we're led to believe that there's a male equivalent in russia to bond and then the snap zoom of it's a woman. Oh yeah, that was good. His, his equal is a is a woman, and I. There are things about that that I like, but this film and the n- novel more so. But the film, don't quite, do, you know, they they kind of make them equal, but kind of don't. But that's the seventies for you. Yeah, I, I would say it's a it's a very good you know attempt at it. And
1: yeah, I like this uh, subversion because we already had Bond's equal, like his dark side version, with Red Grant, yes, still the best. Yes, and this was just a nice little. That that's uh, another thing. This movie, the story, it has some subversions to it, mm-hmm. to what we are used to. Like yeah, here, um, the equivalent to Bond, it's a female, and the villain, his motive, is something different than what we are used to.
0: Yes. And unfortunately would become the standard. Yeah. And it's this is the best time. Well we'll get, why don't we get into Stromberg and Stromberg's like point. Yeah. He well he's Karl
1: Stromberg in the movie. He's Sigmund Strom, Stromberg yes. in, the in the book. And that's a very nice detail in the book. Um the initials for like his organization is SS. Yes.
0: It's very intentionally. So so Stromberg's whole thing is that especially in the book they go into detail. He loves the sea. He loves the ocean. He loves fish. And in the book he can kind of resemble a fish at times, which is kind of strange. Like he's not he doesn't look right. He looks weird and, like, he he used to have fish as a kid, and he would feed animals to the fish. He had piranhas. And he, he started off as a, as a funeral home, and then, like, he made a bunch of money during, right before World War II, and he just built this empire by, like, killing crime people, like, mafia members, and he just became this, like, millionaire. And his whole thing is he wants to destroy the world, and have a colony of people under the sea. In his um, in his Atlantis, in I, his won- Atl- I, wa- I
1: was about to call it a space station, but that's the next movie.
0: <laughs> that's exactly. <laughs> it's underwater crazy. station. And he had his big um, henchman is Jaws. This- one of the most iconic Bond villains.
1: Yeah, him ever. and him and the other guy, Sandor, I think he's called.
0: But Sandor really isn't in the book.
1: In the not, not really. He, I mean, he has a small role in the film and in the novelization. Yeah. But like- those two henchmen are actually based on the bad guys from Fleming's original novel.
0: Are they really? Yeah. So
1: in the book, they are called Slugsy and Horror.
0: Yes!
1: And one of them is like a smaller guy. He's like bald. And the other (laughs) one is like this big guy with metal teeth. So they took those two characters. I I don't know. If Fleming was still alive.
0: Yeah, Fleming had been dead for like a decade by that point. Yeah,
1: but if he was still alive and he saw that, he would have been like... He he wouldn't have been amused, probably.
0: But Jaws can't speak. Because sometimes he can't. Well, in the novelization, they are told he does not have vocal cords. Well,
1: he probably... Christopher Wood probably has to retcon that in his next novelization.
0: Or he just won't add it. I have a feeling. Maybe. Maybe. So, well, first of all, so Jaws was like this like crazy like brawler guy and he ended up getting so beaten by police that they like broke his jaw that Stromberg made him titanium teeth and he in order to do it he had to remove Jaws's vocal cords so Jaws is like this giant mute, super strong mute man with titanium teeth that he can bite through bone with and we see it happen. As he bites through that dude's <laughs> spinal cord, which is so disgusting. Which we get. This, this book is nasty.
1: Yeah, like you said, it tries to be a Ian Fleming Bond novel, which is interesting.
0: But to but me, Ian, it, it felt a little more like Colonel Sun, where Colonel Sun felt a little extreme at times. Yeah. Um, especially with the torture.
1: Yeah, the torture aspect. We we will get to your favorite scene in the book. Don't worry. Okay. But I just wanted to add quick. Jaws. He actually similar to uh, Stromberg. He gets a backstory, and mm-hmm. it really has a Fleming feel to it, which yes. I like. And we learn Jaws is Polish, and we even yeah. get his real name in the book
0: the name is escaping me i do not remember even if you know it like i i have
1: no idea how to pronounce this it's not pronounceable
0: <laughs> well, it's too hard you're it's some from Polish nonsense you're that area you're you're a closer country than i am from
1: that uh, that doesn't mean i understand polish this is complete nonsense to me <laughs>
0: But yeah, no. It looks Her- like
1: Kreisvicky is his last name, but yeah, difficult.
0: Anyway, so we we cut to Bond is sent to Cairo to um, take up the customs. As Roger Moore does with his friend from Oxford. When a woman hands him a flower so she can be deflowered. I get the joke. And that that feels like a Roger Moore thing. Right there. That that that's like prime Roger Moore is allowed to be Roger Moore. Um so <laughs> we whereas in the Book. We get to Cairo, and it's just a a shit show. Bond goes to this house to get get to. So there's this guy. He's selling a microfilm that he stole from Stromberg of where the submarines are. Smash wants it, and um, MI6 wants it. So. Bond Bond goes to the contact's house, meets his mistress. Mistress tries to seduce him. Bond's not having any of that in the book. In the movie, he's very for it. and Because it's Roger Moore, and he needs to get the max amount of a woman boning in per film. Then she's shot, which is really graphic in the film and kind of sad. Well, not in this film. In in the book, it's kind of like graphic and sad. In the movie, it's done in two seconds. And he goes and chases.
1: Yeah, he doesn't even check if she like still has a pulse or something. No, he just in the runs book. away immediately.
0: Yeah, he goes to fight the guy in the most awkward Roger Moore fight since Man with the Golden Gun.
1: But it ends in the best way.
0: Oh yeah, where the guy's holding on to Roger Moore's tie. And that he falls. Which yeah. is pretty good.
1: And Roger has a nice little one liner.
0: Would you like to share it? What a helpful chap. <laughs> Just <laughs> every once in a while he does something really cold. Doesn't mm-hmm. happen often. But, but yeah, so we cut to, well, first of all, in The book, I think, does he even kill him? I think he does kill the henchmen. They get in the shootout, I think so. Yeah, and then he goes back, and the woman's like die, dies in his arms. And then we go to in, the in the book, in the book, not in the movie, not in the movie because we immediately go to the pyramids. Mm-hmm. Some good we, visuals there. We find our uh, contact is talking to, to Anya of Smersh and jaws is there and the contact freaks out and tries to run away jaws chases him and bond chases jaws and then jaws rips the dude's spine out of in his the neck. book in the <laughs> because, book because
1: because in the movie like it's obvious that's what it's implying that he bites him like a vampire like in the neck mm. yeah it looks weirdly sexual and romantic in the movie?
0: Yeah, but in a creepy way. Like, it's a creepy scene, because it keeps it keeps, like, slowly, like the lights go black, and then it comes back, and it's really intense. I remember as a kid, that freaked me out when I saw it, because I saw this at a pretty young age.
1: Yeah. Jaws in this movie is still somewhat of a terrifying enemy.
0: Yes. It's not like in Moonraker, when he, when, he becomes the best character. Yeah, when when Bond and him have the fight on the the cable car, mm. and, and he just tells the Roger Moore tells the Bond girl, his name is Jaws. He kills people. <laughs> <laughs> they get in an awkward fist fight because every fight with Jaws is super awkward.
1: Yeah, which to be fair, that's because the actor is like like, in, like enormously tall and
0: you know has pain moving and shit. It also should should be noted that Roger Moore, I think, is the tallest actor to play Bond. He's over mm-hmm. six feet. He's taller than Connery was. Hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I know Craig's the shortest. He's yeah. the only one under six foot. But yeah, it it. Roger Moore's not a small person, but he looks significantly dwarfed in front of Jaws. Everyone does. Sorry. Okay, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> Gabby. Like three fucking times. Anyway. I... I kinda love this scene both ways, but we get our big diversion, like we diverge completely from movie to book right about now. So Bond finds this man just mutilated, and in the book he gets captured by Smash. In the movie he gets in a fist fight with the, the two Russian guys that are with Anya. He beats them both up easily then walks away
1: and is like i hope you enjoyed the show
0: yes in the book we get to the one of the most uncomfortable torture scenes i've ever read in a bond book and i don't say that lightly
1: yeah christopher wood is apparently a big fan of casino royale with the famous ball torture scene
0: Yes, which we have not talked about that really on here yet because we haven't gotten to Casino Royale. But the torture in the book is horrific in that and he just takes it up a notch because it's like he was a big fan of the simplicity of it in Casino Royale and just how graphic the torture was in Colonel Sun. So boy, let's combine them together and we just strap a car battery to... Bond's testicles. Which, Can, granted, you Can you imagine? I haven't seen this before because I've read Kick-Ass and this happens in the comic book of Kick-Ass. So like, I knew as soon as the car battery came out, I'm like, they're going to attach it to his genitals. That's 100% what's and Sure enough, mind you, I want to just say... I was at my girlfriend's job she was working a weekend and I just came up with her and I was just reading that and I read this whole torture sequence because it goes on for a while and I'm just like grimacing she's like are you okay Jeremy? and I'm like yeah I'm reading something horrific right now and so yeah they, they torture him and then the only reason they even stop because is because Anya comes in and she's like, like, she's
1: like, pull his pants back up. Like, what are you doing? You're killing him.
0: Yeah, and they're like, this method has worked for us many times. And then Bond kills them. <laughs> he chops one in the throat and kills them. And then throws the other one into the car batteries, So they get electrocuted. And he jumps out a window.
1: This sounds like like an R-rated fan fiction of the movie. Yeah. But it's kind of awesome. Like
0: It is. It, it works. <laughs> Like right, it feels very Fleming.
1: Yes, but this wouldn't have worked in this movie, because can you imagine Roger Moore in the ball torture scene in Casino Royale instead of Craig? No.
0: The only one that could have pulled this off was Dalton. Yeah. Dalton and Craig. Well, you know what? I could see Pierce Brosnan hmm. doing this. You remember his torture in... Oh gosh, the world's not enough. Oh, yeah, when he's choking to death. Yeah, yeah he's just being like, just being crushed by some elaborate, weird torture device.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, no, Roger Moore talks his way out of things like that. Oh, he has awkward fist fights. Oh, God. Yeah, and this movie's full of them. The dude could not fight. And I can't bring this up enough whereas Conry, it's frustrating Conry could fight he's a judo black belt but they never really could choreograph it well I think it only, it works in From Russia with Love as like a, a weird brawl to the death and it kind of works in Goldfinger but like, we talked about this with You Only Live Twice, the awkward couch fight
1: mm-hmm.
0: with the rocks what was it? I think it
1: was his grandfather Yeah,
0: (laughs) which is incredible don't get me wrong but it's goofy but I I did some research when we started doing live and let's discuss and Roger Moore took some karate lessons Hmm. and that's it and that was when he that was two films ago that was when we did live and let die but he has some moves that he does, like signature, like chop, weird chopping things that are not effective on people.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And oh boy, do, not only does he have those, but Anya uses those too. They're equals in the bad fighting department. Yeah. But anyway, we go back to, he goes to this like club after this. It's like a day later. In the book. In the movie, it's like the same night. It's like five a, minutes later. Yeah. Uh, He goes to a club and he runs it to Anya and they talk. And in the film, we have... It's kind of an awkward... Like, they know who each other are from their profession.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In the book, that's not really the case. She knows who he is, but he doesn't really realize who she is until he realizes it's Smash a little later but she knows who he in the movie they know who each other are and they order their signature drinks which is kind of cute I do like that and then Anya just like flexes on him telling him like his whole backstory and he drops that he was married once and it pisses Bond off and he walks away Which I do enjoy that, like, hey, Honor Majesty's Secret Service did happen. Finally, it's referenced. It's finally referenced after three films. And you could argue that the beginning with the hunt for Blofeld and Diamonds Are Forever is him. Yeah, that was kept
1: ambiguous for a reason. Yeah. But yeah, part of the. Okay, there are two reasons why this movie did this. The first one is originally the bad guy was supposed to be Blofeld. So there would have been a specter connection there. Hmm. The other reason is um, something I don't think we have mentioned yet. This was produced by the famous uh, Cubby Broccoli. Yes. Who we, I think we brought him up a couple of times. But the first movies, up until Man with the Golden Gun, were produced by Broccoli and Harry Saltzman yes and behind the scenes there was a lot of drama with harry saltzman and broccoli and they eventually like split yes and also because men with the golden gun wasn't really that successful Mm -hmm. it didn't bring in as much money as they would have hoped to and spy who loved me was a gamble for broccoli who was now now all alone Mm -hmm. and he was like okay if this is the last bond film we're gonna show. Okay, this is Bond. We're gonna reference the previous movies, the significant events like Tracy, obviously. We're gonna bring back everything, and you know, just go go all in, mm-hmm. pump all the money in with special effects and stunts and stuff, which you can feel in the movie.
0: Yeah, it it feels. It, this doesn't an ugly film, whereas the previous two, previous three, if we're being honest especially Diamonds Are Forever, they all feel cheap a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Or Diamonds especially, because they had to pay Sean Connery a ton of money to even show up.
1: Yeah. But yeah, all of them had this cheap feeling to them. And they were all directed by Guy Hamilton, who also did Goldfinger. And this one was directed by Lewis Gilbert, who also Mm -hmm. did You Only Live Twice, and then Mm -hmm. would later also do Moonraker. And all of his Bond films are essentially the same movie.
0: They are. This is the best version of it, though.
1: Yes. Because here everything
0: worked. Yes. And, like, the theme of it as a whole, with both the novelization and the film, is really nice. That, hey, Bond is going to fall in love with his equal from the the opposition, and if this was going to be the last Bond book or film, thematically it works. Oh yeah! Unlike with Spectre,
2: yeah,
0: <laughs> definitely does not work at all. This would be a, a great send off. Yeah, but... and I
1: mean, it was so great watching this movie again now where the message is like, hey, you know, some optimism. We can work together. Yes. Remember optimism in movies? What a concept.
0: Yeah. What a novel idea. (laughs) Anyway, so we, they both, both Anya and James go to meet this guy who has the microfilm. And they start bidding, and then he gets a telephone call which turns out to be Jaws and Jaws kills him and steals the microfilm which in the in the book there's just this bloody phone booth and then in the film because it's PG there's no blood and then Bond puts the out of service sign on him and jumps out the window and Anya somehow teleports out the front door (laughs) not knowing what happened And they both get in the the back of the van where Jaws is driving. And then they spend the night in the van, which is bugged. And Jaws knows they're back there. And Jaws drives them into basically a trap and tries to kill both of them.
1: Yeah. I would like to point out, in that scene, Anya mentions, oh, we have files on him. And Bond also has them. And she tells him, oh, his name is Jaws. He's like this hitman. Mm Mm-hmm. This explains your complaint about Moonraker. About like why does how does Bond know Jaws' name?
0: Yeah, yeah, I didn't remember that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't either. So,
0: it, I didn't remember a lot of this film, and that's un that's unfortunate. I think mm-hmm. some of it was fortunate. There's a there's a couple funky things in here that we're gonna get to. But anyway, we have an uh, the first awkward fight with Jaws, where he literally rips their van apart. I mean, Va- that's kind of fun. Them in the teeth, which was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty comedic moment. But, but I mean,
1: uh, I mean, I do love how this fight shows how over the top Jaws is as a bad yeah. guy when he's
0: literally ripping the van apart. Like, well, we had to outdo Odd Job. I feel like no one had topped Odd Job in the films. I don't, there hadn't been a henchman like
1: him. I mean, we had good ones, great ones, unique ones, but yeah. like physically strong like that. Yeah. Like Odd Job, that's.
0: Yeah. I mean, remember Odd karate demonstration in the book of Goldfinger? Where he's like oh, flipping yeah. around and breaking everything. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, he got he got to eat one of um, Goldfinger's cats as oh, a reward. Oh God, I forgot about that. <laughs> God, oh, <laughs> I mean Jaws literally eats a shark in this movie. So
0: yes, that is true, and possibly in the book. Yeah, it's left ambiguous.
1: Mm-hmm. But what I love about this fan scene is like Anya is driving, and it's this really comedic scene where they are going back and forth and trying to get rid of Jaws yeah and Bond is just sitting there making like jokes about you know women drivers
0: which is not in the book oh yeah oh yeah that's that's a Roger Moore thing that's a Roger Moore thing that that feels frustrating because in the book there's just mutual panic because Anya was full on there's something we need to point out thus far in the book Anya doesn't give a shit about Bond. Does not. That's the that's the enemy. If he dies then there is I have no qualms with that. In the movie that barely factors in. Like they're kind of flirty with each other the whole time. But I think he starts to realize that she's part of uh Smash at this point and she's not to be trusted. But they're 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 attracted to one another, especially he's attracted to her, of course. It's Bond. She's a a hot female that's dangerous. And hey, they do mention that Smash has tried to kill him twice with women. Which is a a book reference. Mm Reference both the novel from Russia with love and casino royale. (laughs) Jeez. Um, they they escape, which is we have a nice scene in the film of them on a, a boat,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which we get another Roger Moore weird microfilm thing. Like he has this device and he looks puts it together from his cigarettes case. Oh
1: yeah, a small gadget. Yes, but and then we get to the best moment.
0: Oh, when she blows weird powder in his face and knocks him out?
1: You were about to say poison, right? I was about because to say poison. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Because they are flirting with each other, and Bond thinks he's going to get some. Then she pulls out like her cigar case or something, mm-hmm. takes one, and then...
0: Pfft. Right in his face. Which she does drug him in the book. Oh, yeah. She injects him with something, I think.
2: hmm
1: but what I love about this scene is, after this Bond returns to like headquarters in Egypt, right? Yes. And he, and then we get a great scene in the movie, where there's just General Gogol, is there?
0: Yeah, and Bond is, is, yeah, I, I and him. confused at first. Yeah,
1: and I love how this implies, I mean, clearly shows like she probably kind of knew at this point, maybe, that she and Bond were supposed to work together and, you know, arrive there together. Mm -hmm. But she still knocked him out and stole the thing, just so she could be like, I arrived first, I have it.
0: I'm better than you.
1: Yeah, I'm better than you. Bond is... Yes.
0: Because there's that competition aspect between the two of them.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Because Bond has every intention of abandoning her at one point. And... Yeah, it, I do enjoy it, and I love when M walks in. And is like, there's a change of plans. <laughs> yeah,
1: you, and then he's like, "You probably see my counterpart from the KGB is here."
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Which in the in the book, there's more tension because oh yeah, because there.
1: the Russians in the book are very much Fleming's uh, bad guy Russians,
0: yeah, especially Nickton. Yeah. Dicton's creepy. Yeah. And he gets but- all jealous that Bond is like eyeing up Anya. Because he oh, like- we didn't even talk about that. Yeah. In the beginning, so there's a scene in the beginning when Anya's called into the to the office. It's in both the book and the film. And she's given her mission. She's told that her lover's dead. In the movie. Gogol just says, like, hey, we've known this has been going on for a while, despite you hiding it from us. In the book, Nickton comes on to her, and it's actually kind of a, a tense scene that reminds me a lot of the novel from Russia with Love. Mm-hmm. Rosa Klebb came on to, oh god, what is her name? Tatiana? Tatiana, Tanya? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, he's kind of trying to, like, blackmail her. Yes. And he makes, like, this plan where it's like, okay, I'm going to tell her that it was Bond who killed her lover, so she's going to kill him, and then I'm going to get some. That's pretty much
0: it. Which is gross and weird.
1: Yeah, but Gogol in the movie is, like, just a nice guy. Yeah,
0: he's he's, he's M's counterpart.
1: Yeah, and I like that M and him, they are like really good with each other. Like, he calls him Miles, which is the first time we get M's name in the movies.
0: Yes. And I I just like that. We also, I forgot to mention it, we got, um, we meet the next M. Oh, yeah. Admiral Hargreaves. Yes, who ends up replacing M two films from now?
1: Yeah, Robert Brown. I think he first appears in Octopussy.
0: Uh, yeah, because I can't remember if that it's that or for your eyes only.
1: No, I think um, Bernard Lee died during like pre-production of for your eyes only, and they said out of respect, we're not gonna choose another actor. In in for your eyes only, they just say M is on vacation or something. So.
0: Yes, but it's still Admiral. The Admiral is that yeah. giving orders. I mean, we, we'll figure this out next season. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah, but uh, so this has led like to the fan theory because Admiral Hargreaves is here and he's played by Robert Brown, who mm-hmm. would later replace uh, Bernard Lee as M. And people have said, oh, 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 this means the M from Octopussy onwards is Admiral Hargreaves, actually, mm-hmm. who became the new M. And it's like, no. No. Just sorry, but no, that's just recasting.
0: N has only been replaced in the main Bond films once. And that's addressed in Golden. Yeah. And that that is made clear in the film, not just in the novelization, but is made clear in the film. That she is new to being M. Well, M's role. And I think
1: what I think what has added some more confusion to this is um that we see Bernard Lee. Uh, no, not Bernard Lee. We see Robert Brown. A portrait of him in No Time to Die. Yeah. And people have said, "Oh, but 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 that means that means nothing."
0: It's a just it's just a reference that the director yes. wanted. in.
1: we saw a portrait of Bernard Lee in World Is Not Enough. We saw one of um, Judy Dench in in No Time to Die, I think, and then of uh, Robert Brown. But it's like it's just a reference
0: yes like, like especially because dead. this is the daniel craig series they don't have yeah. any connection it's like putting the vantage v8 in yeah from living daylights
1: oh my god it's timothy dalton's car
0: <sighs> it's this isn't 007 legends people that's not canon oh it could be i suppose but
1: if you want to believe um robert brown's m is admiral Hargreaves, Whatever. But I'm pretty sure M, like, Miles Mershawie, M, has, like, a different military rank. Like, he's also Admiral, but, like, a different type of Admiral. I, I, think, I think someone pointed it out. Hargrees would have to be, like, demoted instead of promoted. Mm-hmm. If he was still an Admiral.
0: So... Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So, Amazova Amazova and Bond are to team up and stop Stromberg. We figure out it's Stromberg. There's a great scene of the two of them working together unintentionally. So they get assigned to, to work together, which they're not super thrilled on. But, you know, we start getting the romance. At least in the film, we start getting the romance then. In the book, it takes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we cut to the Lotus. Yes, yeah, I so, car. I want to point it out. I like lotuses. I think they're really cool cars. I don't like seventies lotuses; they look doofy. Like the thing is, the the current Lotus equivalent to this Bond car, I mean, obviously doesn't go underwater. But, like, it looks, it takes some of the styling of the 70s Lotus, but it doesn't have the boxy back. That's my issue with it. The back of it looks weird. Looks like they kind of wanted to make, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a 90s Camaro. That's mm-hmm. not a compliment, because the 90s had some of the most ugly cars ever made in the 90s. This Lotus is funky, and I get that it is a big deal car for Bond fans because it goes underwater. It's the Wet Nelly, but it is an ugly freaking car. It might have driven really nice, but it is a goofy looking car. And that's something to be brought up with The Spy Who love Me is this feels the most 70s. Of the bond yeah. with the with the tu- the seventies tux. This is the first time we have Bond in the gun barrel is wearing a tux instead of a mm-hmm. suit. I think he looks
1: good in this movie with his outfits,
0: yeah, but like they're they're very dated. Yeah, I love obviously. flare pants. Don't get me wrong. If I if they made flare pants for men, I would wear them. But they're very seventies. My dad for instance, he always he always craps on this film because he always thinks it looks too 70s. Mm-hmm. And I think that really comes from the Lotus. The Lotus looks like a 70s car. 70s British car, not a 70s American car.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's just it the Lotus, you know, it's whatever. Not my favorite Bond car, but I get that people like it.
1: Anyway, yeah, it's, it's also not my favorite look, but it has, you know, cool functions. Yes. It turns into a submarine,
0: so. It doesn't go invisible and have automatic shotguns on it in Iceland.
1: Yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's not like the, the fucking underwater thing from Escape from L.A. that he uses. Oh,
0: for... God, that's another one that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> there are worse like supercars out there anyway let's um so in the book I wanted to point out that Anya does not like that they have the Lotus she's like why can't we have an economy car like this is such a capital wa- capitalist waste of money like just going on and on and in the film she's just like oh that's nice yeah we miss most this is one of the few times we get um we didn't even talk about the whole Q thing. Q no, Branch has moved out to Egypt, and they have a whole bunch of their gadgets and stuff. And it's just... Is funny. this... I have Is- to ask. But I but I think
1: I'm already wrong. Is this the first time we have seen, like, Q Branch? Like, not just Q with his gadgets, like, the entire thing being in
0: a different location? I think so, but technically if you watch You Only Live Twice with the ninjas, Japanese is equivalent to Q, the Japanese equivalent to Q Branch. We've seen something like this before with the, when Bond learns to be a ninja and you only live mm-hmm. twice. But it's the first time we've seen the Russians. It's the only time we get the Russians in there. like, And that's funny to watch them kind of react to all this nonsense. Because mm-hmm. that's what Q branch really becomes. And it's what's it's going to be for now on, is just nonsense gadgets for jokes. Yeah. Even in Dalton's era, in Living Daylights, it's still like this. And like in Brosnan's era, mm-hmm. it's like this. Especially in um Die Another Day. Where it's not only that, but it's references. And bad ones but oh god we need to so we get the lotus and for the first time we don't get all the features of the lotus told to us
1: yeah so we get a surprise later yes but first things first Q Anya says good morning Major Bufroid, Yes. which sir. I love
0: I love that too
1: because not many people know this, I guess. But, yeah. Q's real name is Major Bufroid, And Which in is the... the character we see the first time in Dr. No.
0: And in the book, they never refer to him as Q. This yeah. novelization. This novelization is very much the Fleming books. There is Q Branch. Q Branch is referenced once. Actually, twice. Uh, but there is no Q. <laughs> Which is something in the Gardner books that is a thing. Oh, instead of Q, we got QT. I didn't know that, but I was thinking of his novelizations they reference Q. Well, Q is a character, of course, in License to Kill, so he's in the novelization. But in Goldeneye, there is Q.
2: Yeah.
0: Like, like both those novelizations. So it's nice that Christopher Woods... Still stays with the Fleming notion that there's Q Branch, but he's not named Q. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that will stay for Moonraker.
1: No, we have to watch out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Because this could just be the end of the Fleming timeline, basically. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Because this... Well, anyway, I'll get to that at the end of this video. Or recording, whatever this is. I don't know. I don't know. We've been going for an hour, and it feels like an hour, but we're only halfway through the the freaking story. Oh my god. We have to hurry up. We haven't even talked about the villain yet at all. We have a little bit. What about his his, uh, scenes in the movie, which are good? Not yet, but we're we're getting there. Anyway, so... uh, We, in the... In the... So they're supposed to be married bond on it. it's like their their cover is that they're married and he's a marine biologist so Stromberg invites him to his fortress I'm gonna call it a fortress which is this weird model thing that is that can go underwater and it can rise out of the sea and it can be towed with his giant tanker um, ship. Yeah, so and we it go to the, amazing. Yes, actually, it's the only model that kind of works because mm-hmm. we have a bunch of models and stuff in this movie, and this movie was not meant for high definition. So, a lot of the special effects shots that involve models look really, really bad. So, we get to First of all, we have another Bond girl, kind of. Who's like, not in the book at all, but she's, like, a, like, sort of henchman or henchwoman for, for Stromberg. Mm-hmm. She's, of course, attractive, of course. And Bond flirts with her a little bit, which makes Anya jealous. But in the book, Anya's just not thrilled to be there at all with Bond. Which we have my favorite, favorite line from the book. Absolute favorite. Where she's like, do you have to do you always drive this fast? And Bond's like, no. Sometimes I speed. (laughs) Gave me a little chuckle. Mm -hmm.
2: Because
0: he does drive crazy fast like he's playing with a toy, basically. Is how Anya puts it. So anyway, we get to Stromberg's Fortress his sea fortress, and Atlantis. Bonded, Atlantis. Bond and Stromberg in the book barely talk, yeah. which I think is a little detriment to the um, to the book because we don't get a lot of Stromberg and Bond interacting with one another until the end
2: mm-hmm. of the
0: book. But in the film, we get a little more. But the big thing that's the same with both of them is that Bond sees, because we did not talked about this, Str- in the beginning Stromberg um, punishes an assistant who let the microfilm disappear by throwing her into the ocean so she's eaten by sharks. Yep. And With like a little trapdoor in like the elevator. Yes, and bond sees her hand just on the seafloor and like sharks swimming around it so like we get we realize that stromberg's definitely the villain at this point Well bond realizes it like how serious things are going to get and stromberg quizzes him on a fish which I kind of love that there's a not in the novelization we have a reason why Bond knows what this fish is. Aside from he would probably have some idea what the fish are in the Fleming uh, books because he free dives often, and then the Hildebrand Rarity that short story would have been the thing. And he does know some things about fish, but we get an additional explanation that. He had a roommate in college who had this fish like What a, a bo- happy coincidence. And it just happens to be a... Co- it's a little like, okay, whatever. But like in the films, we all know Roger Moore knows everything.
1: Yeah, he's a walking uh, Wikipedia.
0: Yes. He's just a dictionary and an encyclopedia and a thesaurus. Roger Moore, The Smartest Bond? Yeah, he's the worst fighting Bond, I can tell you that. Yeah. He's the best talking Bond. He, he was more of a lover than a fighter, as Conry put it. But anyway. <laughs> we, ha- we have a little more reaction with Bond and Stromberg talking. Not much is added. We do, and then Bond and Anya go off, where they're set up to be killed. But Anya says, like, oh, yeah, I didn't see anything. Although in the film, we do learn about the tanker this way. Just looking at a model of the tanker. I don't remember how they learn about it in the book. But, I don't know. It gives you something to look forward to, viewers. We don't have to say everything here. Mm -hmm. But we get a Lotus chase. Which we get to see the Lotus uh, get chased by a motorcycle that has a torpedo sidecar that blows up a mattress trailer. And then the dude flies off the cliff. And then we have a car chase in the film... I don't think it's in the book because jaws is in the car and then the car falls into someone's house and jaws is the only one to survive it. And then we have the bond lady villain is chasing him in a helicopter which in the book is jaws in the helicopter shooting at them with a machine gun. Mm-hmm. But then we find out why she's called Wet Nelly as the car goes underwater and becomes a submarine. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But it has a missile launcher at the top of it that blows up the helicopter in the movie. That's not in the novelization. Then they go and realize that Stromberg's labs just built over the water. It's like not touching dry land at all. And then they get chased by scuba divers. They have to fight the scuba divers. And then we get the great scene in the film where they, they're they driving with the... They drive out of the ocean and Bond drops a fish next to yeah.
1: someone. And there's this one guy with like his bottle of alcohol looking at it like,
0: huh? Yeah. Which,
1: I think we have a shot like that in Moonraker again.
0: Right? Oh, yeah. Probably with the gondola that is a helfer craft. Yeah, that's when we have the double-taking pitch. Okay. Pitch, like. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, not funny, not that funny. Yeah. Anyway, so by this point in the book, Anya is really into Bond now, and they're like getting all close and stuff. And then the book, she gets flowers that have a secret message from Colonel Nickton saying that Bond killed her lover. And so she gets all cold and tells him that Bond that she's going to kill him when the mission's over. In the film, Bond pulls out um a cigarette box and she's like, "Where'd you get that?" He's like, "Oh yeah, from Austria." And then she figures out that he killed her lover, which both of them lead to a great scene where Bond's like, "Hey, you." We both know what business we're into. This is what happens. I don't enjoy it, but this is what our jobs are. Like, be professional about Mm -hmm. it, which is cold bond, but like it makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's nice to get that they're basically the same scene from book to film. Yeah. Because we don't. Whenever we get Roger Moore doing something like cold like that, it's very refreshing, and it feels very Bond-like.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So now we get to our, our climax, which is we get the not Felix Leiter, but basically acts like Felix Leiter, because all Americans act the same. Yeah. their Bond's friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he... I can't even remember his name, but like he's the captain of a submarine, and he lets. This is a good joke, and we can bring up the one of the things that I really started to notice during this film. Um, anyway, he Bond and uh, Anya are on board, and he didn't. This captain didn't realize that. Major Amazov was a female and she's like, don't treat me differently because I'm a woman, which is nice. But he's like, that's the same. I think it's best that you shower in here instead of with the, the men on board, which leads to a great joke where she's showering. She's obvious. The actress is obviously naked, which this we can get into this a bit. Nowadays, most actresses will not do that. They have a body double, and then you can see in post production, you can put someone's face on someone else. And do that, or you shoot them so it's not obviously them. Or, there, I mean, there are some actresses that do get naked on camera, but a lot of them don't anymore. So she's clearly naked, and this movie is PG, and it was not meant to be in high definition. Because what would have been blurry in standard definition is now, you see full nip. She's clearly taking a shower, and there's something in to go back to backpedal to the opening of this with the Carly Simon song "Nobody Does It Better." Much mm-hmm. of those women are naked too, which I just assumed for the longest time that they just wore body suits. But no, there is clearly free flying boob going on. And you wouldn't have seen it unless it was in high definition, because I know Noah watched this on DVD.
1: Yeah, and because you told me the day before I looked for nipples. Mm -hmm. Thank you, by the way. The great I I wanted to to experience crazy. Yeah, so I looked for it and it's like in the opening credits it was
0: yeah. Obvious, it's, it's more so on Blu ray,
1: yeah. But I remember the one scene when, like you said, the shower scene, mm. and it was like it was still blurry enough on my DVD copy.
0: It's not really, um, yeah. I can I'm only imagine what it looks like in 4K. They don't own this in 4K. I have seen some of the 4K transfers though of some of these Bond films because they were free on Prime for a while. So, like, I've seen License to Kill in 4K. They've done a really good job with these films. But unfortunately, we get into other things that don't look good on Blu-ray, which there's a lot of blue screen in this. Oh, my God, yes. There's a scene when, like, Bond and
1: not Felix, Navy Felix, like, look out of the submarine at the end. And, like, they are so... The projection, it looks like the scene from You Only Live Twice
0: yes which is 10 years earlier almost 10 years earlier um but the whole thing is blue screen was not meant to be filmed on blue like that's and that's the problem with this is this movie has a lot of blue tones in it and it looks weird like and even like in the opening there's issues with it in high definition where it feels like the effects are falling apart, if that makes any sense. Um, do you mean the insert shots when Bond is skiing yes. and he's like, "Well, not just that." No, I mean like in the when the song plays, and we mm-hmm. have the credits, the opening credits. Like some of that doesn't look looks broken now mm-hmm. because of high definition. Because like these, the effects they use don't hold up. Like people that are kind of like all blue, like kind of keying out, if that makes sense. Mm. Like for for people who have like like work on film or have like a degree, like I have a degree (laughs) in this. Like it, I'm trying to explain it best I can. Like people like start to fade out because it's stuff on a blue screen. And it's blue tinted everything, like all all these Bond like credit introductions, like like opening credits where they play the song and stuff. Like they they are a specific color palette, like to the film, and like a lot of films have like a, a color tone to them, like. What, what did you call Spectre? The piss yellow. Yes, yeah, Spectre is piss yellow. Yeah, um, but like a lot of films have a have a color tone. Like things are when you color correct, you have like a color theme sometimes. And Spy, you love me because a lot of it's on the ocean is blue. Like that makes sense, right? But like when you're doing things on a blue screen that are blue, you tend to have things disappear because the colors match up. It's like when you're on a green screen and you wear like a green bodysuit. suit. Like if um, you ever seen, it's always sunny in Philadelphia when, mm-hmm. when Charlie wears the green man suit, you put that on a green screen, you're invisible. You can register movements a little bit because it will pixelate, and you can tell something's moving around. But you're vi- you're virtually invisible. It's the same with blue, like it's just green keys out better. Like that's why people we switched to green screen in the two thousands. Like that became the standard. Like, during like the Star Wars prequels, for instance, some of it's on blue screen, some of it's on green screen. When it came to Revenge of the Sith. When stuff was like Mustafar is all on green screen because there's so many effects going on, it wouldn't work on blue screen. Like, it, does that does that make sense? Yeah. Like, so like we get we get things like that that don't work that are like optical effects. They just don't work anymore because it's it's the, the unfortunate thing about high definition is you really start to see that it's. That, that it's not lifelike anymore. Like things you could suspend your disbelief on like VHS or even on DVD. You can't on Blu ray and you really can't on 4K. Or when we switch to 8K, it's going to start pulling apart these older films that like started using special effects like this. Like any 70s and 80s films are not going to really look good anymore. All right. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with this, but where were we? Um, oh, we're on the submarine. Right. The submarine is captured by Stromberg's tanker, which turns out it opens in the front and swallows up submarines, and it can fit three of them all next to each other.
1: Which is very similar to the You Only Live Twice with the rockets, with the fist
0: Yes, and it also reminds me in Tomorrow Never Dies... I think there's another ship that's like this too. Yeah, yeah, right. So this is a this is a recurring thing that happens. It's cool every time. I'm just going to say that. Like mm-hmm. I think it's it, it's ridiculous but it's kind of neat and you, it can kind it's kind of plausible. And they're wondering why the ship was shaped like that? Well, now it's it walls up submarines and they're all captured. Then Stromberg realizes that Bond and Anya are on there to reveal that Stromberg knows who they are. And then in the book, I like the book's like Bond and Anya's farewell, like they're never going to see each other again, where because in the movie she refuses to say anything to him cuz she's still mad at him. But in the book she's like Stromberg's like I'm very curious to see what kind of offspring you and Jaws would have. Oh man, which is a horrifying thought. And if you've read Colonel Sun, which has a horrific sort of assault scene like that, that's implied, I was in absolute panic mode at this point because I'm like, oh my god, it's gonna be like Colonel Sun again, and it's just gonna be bad where it actually happens. Oh no. The- if it did and thankfully no i know it didn't happen but you were afraid it would happen yeah yeah because i i'm not this is a 70s book i'm a i'm ready for the worst to happen this is when death wish came out all right like horrible things happened in 70s media like i i'm just fully prepared for the absolute worst thankfully <laughs> this didn't happen
1: it did the movie and in the movie it's Stromberg
0: wants her taken to, like, his quarters, and it's implied that he wants to have sex with her? Yes, but, like, that's something I want to bring up in the book, Stromberg. He just doesn't seem like a human being. No. and he, I don't think he thinks of himself as a human. No, he's full-on like an insane psychopath, which yeah. I like. who wants to be a fish. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Basically.
1: Yeah, and this leads to one of my favorite things here. Um... In and end, when Bond asked him, like, okay, your plan is going well, just tell us how much money do you want so we can get yes. this shit over with. Because Bond obviously knows from, like, Blofeld or, like, Goldfinger, okay, these people just want money and stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's let's try to diffuse the situation. And Stromberg is like, I don't care about money, like, I just want to see the world burn, basically.
0: Yeah, I want to create a new world in my image. A pe- more peaceful world. And in the book, he talks about how the Cold War is just killing everyone, and he's going to be merciful and just get it over with by having a new Russian nuclear sub and a British nuclear sub, the Russians nuke New York, and the uh, the British nuke Moscow. And it starts World War III, it'd be a nuclear war, and everything ends in four hours.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, Anya's taken away. Stromberg leaves in the movie in a terrible effect where some some puppets were put in a toy boat that was shot out the model, and then it quick cuts to them being actual people. That's <laughs> okay. Worked. That's
1: the one effect that looks bad, like even on DVD.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think that ever looked bad. It, like looked good. I don't. Yeah. think in the, in the movie, they leave on a helicopter during when when Bond rescues everyone. All the, the Americans and British and the Russians are somewhere, some reason not involved. That's something weird in both the book and the film. They're just... The Russians aren't there. Are they all dead? Maybe he kills them. I guess. Are we to believe that the Russians are working with Stromberg's SS people? Like... I don't know. Like, they're not there, though. It's clearly just British and Americans. Yeah, because this might have a message of, like, oh, we can all work together, but really it's it's the British and the Americans. Yeah, it's the NATO people. <laughs> the NATO saving everyone.
1: Yeah, they are like, okay, Russians, you are cool, like, we can do this, but we are still better.
0: Yeah, and... We have, we have great some great scenes with that, which feel like you only live twice when all the ninjas show up and fight Spectre.
1: Yeah, where Bond, he isn't just fighting alone. Like, I was thinking of the final in No Time to Die. Yes. And where here he, he gets an army to help him. And it feels so much better. Yeah. Than just him turning into John Wick for no reason.
0: Yeah, or, or Brambo or something like that. Yeah. It feels more John Wick. It feels, especially you No know, Time to Die. This is something we didn't even talk about. It feels. Yeah, like I mean, he's he's right?
1: Rambo in the Brosnan movies, where yes. he's also all alone with machine guns gunning people down.
0: Yeah. But like, in this, in this, it just feels it feels good. It feels like a big Bond film done right.
2: Mm-hmm. There's a
0: whole scene where they have to stop fighting because the the bridge is fortified. But in the book, Bond runs off to try to rescue Anya and then he doesn't fire on the helicopter, which is a really cool scene, uh, because she's on it. And then he has, he's like, I have doomed everyone because of my poor judgment. Which is a cool scene that I wish was in the film, but it's mm-hmm. not. They, If it would been Dalton, they would have done it. I'm just saying, like yeah but this era they wouldn't have done it with Conry either um but it's a good Fleming sort of moment in the book that's omitted from the film but anyway they they take apart a nuclear missile they take the detonator out, and they make it so they can blow up this like blast screen like this this titanium blast screen so they can get into the bridge and stop everything, and that's a tense scene where Bond's writing on the top of the weird camera system. Which I think he just crawls through the the grates, in the, the book. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But he drops it. It's a tense scene, and then we get some more fighting, and then like, they stop World War Three from happening, but they still gotta get Stromberg.
1: Yeah, because they make the two uh, submarines shoot at each other, destroy yes. each other.
0: They changed the coordinates last minute. The last mm-hmm.
1: four minutes. Which was an exciting moment because Bond is sitting down at like the terminal mm-hmm. and he takes like the manual and reads like he turns the pages, okay, how do I do this? And then just types in how to do it. And it was there's no music, there's nothing. It was really awesome actually.
0: Yeah, it's tense. Mm-hmm. So then they escape, which is An intense scene and they they sink the tanker but they still gotta go to Stromberg's fortress Atlantis to go fight Stromberg which I like the books version better where Bond puts on scuba gear Mm. and gets shot out a torpedo shaft (laughs) to go fight Stromberg it felt like live and let die the novel and he's scuba diving his way to to the lair, and that it felt like that. Although yeah, he's not attacked by sharks or barracudas, hmm? I was expecting that, but it was nice to not have that. But he only he has an hour before they just destroy the fortress,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and he
1: gets there with like another gadget delivered by Q.
0: <sighs> yes, and I don't like that.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't like how it's done because Bond is like, no, this other guy is like, okay, how will you get to Atlantis to his base? And Bond is like, get me the thing Q sent me in the mail. And then the the scene goes on for like two minutes where like a guy comes in, puts it down, Bond opens it, looks through it. He gives one of the parts to the other guy. He looks at it. It's like the
0: the handlebars.
1: Yeah. The handlebars. And then it, and then it cuts to Bond, uh, actually driving the thing. Yeah, but it's a, like it's
0: a little jet ski thing, and it yeah, looks the, dumb.
1: Yeah, but I was thinking, how much better would this be if it wasn't so drawn out? Mm-hmm. Like he's like, "How how are you gonna get to Atlantis, Bond?" And Bond is like, "Bring me the package, you know, Q and send me." And then it cuts, and he's. Driving that would have been thing.
0: better, but it still looks. It just looks goofy because Roger Moore looks too big for it.
1: Yeah, it looks like a children's toy, similar to like little yeah, Nelly and you Only so, not live twice. He's so
0: tall, it just doesn't look right. <laughs> and then he just rides up no problem at all. Yeah. I like it,
1: that effect with Atlantis and him, you know, arriving there on the
0: Yeah, fair enough. I mean it's practical. Yeah. Um But we have our our confrontation with Stromberg. Which is the most brutal thing ever put on film
1: for some reason
0: oh yeah so so the film stromberg tries to has like this weird um torque what is harpoon tube thing under his table under the dining table and bond sits at the other end it shoots out explosions for some reason yeah it shoots out an explosive harpoon and then Bond's like, my turn. He sticks the Walther PPK down the tube and shoots him, like, twice in the... In the I'm, balls. I, he shoots him right
1: in the balls. Stomach.
0: Twice. And then just shoots him to the In point... the chest, twice. Yeah. And then shoots him an additional time. He shoots him five times.
1: And then the last... I think it's really the last shot we get of Stromberg. It's him, like, on his... He's like... Uh, uh, uh. It's like, falling to the ground it, and he's all bloody and it's... I, I think this was like let over when
0: he was supposed to be blowfeld. Yes. In the book, though, he and Bond get in a scuffle because they start shooting the uh the fortress, and the fortress is already going underwater. Mm. Still it, it because it's over this like chasm that Stromberg has no idea how deep it goes. But he's just like he's like, I plan to kill myself. And this thing is just going to compress down because of the pressure of the ocean. Which is a terrifying thought. But then they start shooting it as it's going because it starts going down. It starts moving. So they just go ahead and start firing on it. And then in the blast, the table goes and crushes Stromberg's skull. (laughs) Which is a (laughs) disgusting thing.
1: Oh my god! That should have also happened in the movie after he got shot.
0: Yeah, (laughs) let's just go all out. But we get our fight with Jaws, which is goes different in both the book and the film because we didn't explain something. We we admitted something from the film, Mm -hmm. the train fight. Right. Yet another train fight. Yeah, with Jaws and I intentionally didn't say it because it shares parallels to how the book fight goes last fight with jaws goes in the book. So earlier on Anya and Bond are getting close and they have they have a joint quarters on a train and jaws assaults Anya like beats her up and is going to kill her and then Bond comes out and he and Bond have a fight then the only reason they stop Jaws that time is Bond takes a lamp, smashes the bulb so it's like electrified, which doesn't work by the way, that's not a thing that happens. And he shocks Jaws' teeth with the lamp, with the exposed bulb. That's yes. not how electricity works. Well they do something similar when Jaws and Bond have their final confrontation where First of all, he breaks Bond's hand. Mm-hmm. Like shatters his his right hand to get the gun out of his hand. Because in the movie he just shoots jaws in the teeth. <laughs> why couldn't you if you're that good of a shot, why can't you aim higher to dome him? <laughs> that would have saved you trouble, but no, he shoots him in the teeth and then the PPK jams. And then the two of them brawl, which leads to a great scene where he they fight in the magnet room.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Which why there's a magnet, I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand why that's there. But he, he magnetizes Jaws by his teeth and then dumps them in so he fights Jaws fights a shark. Yeah. He Jaws versus Jaws. Yes. Which I think was a joke. Definitely. So he, he ends up killing the shark. Like, that's clear in the film. But in the book, Jaws and Bond fight and Jaws sh- and Bond finds some exposed wire and he, like, grabs it and he shoves it in Jaws' mouth. <laughs> it just starts electrocuting him. but it doesn't kill him. And then Stromberg has, like, a tank with a shark in it and the shark jumps, like, the tank bursts because of all the, the, the shooting and all the missiles being fired At Atlantis, and then we—it's left up to interpretation which jaws won. Mm. But then Bond and um, Anya escape in the very comfortable bed escape pod.
1: Oh yeah, Stromberg's personal uh, little escape pod
0: with um with the the champagne. Yeah. Which, so. And then we get our, in the film, we get our like confrontation of is Anya going to kill Bond? And then they decide, the fuck.
1: Yeah. With the great moment, she's pointing the gun at him. We get the close up of her finger, pulling the trigger. And then the champagne, it pops.
0: Yeah. A- and then we get our great pun when they're rescued of.
1: Oh, yeah, their boss is like. Google and M and Q and everybody is just looking in there when they are like post-coitus.
0: Yeah, and they're like, "Bond, what are you doing?" He's like, "Keeping the British end up," and then closes. And then it gets like this military, like navy version of of the song of nobody doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, with like it's now it's great. a bunch of
0: men singing it. It's awesome. And then it goes back to Carly Simon singing it. Yeah but in the book we cut from the initial escape to a little while later bonds recuperating at his flat. We get his, his lovely. Is is she Scottish? I think she is Scottish. Yeah. yeah, Um, Housekeeper has a cameo and she invites in the, the Navy captain and bonded him yuck it up a little bit. And then he's like, there's a woman here to see you. And it's, Anya, who proceeds to join Bond in the bedroom after Bond quickly shaves, it is like shocked that he doesn't cut himself because he still has a damaged hand, even though he wants to go back to work. Mm. And it ends like that with her. I, I think quickly. I prefer the movie version. I kind of like the book.
1: It felt. I mean, I do like the book. I mean, the ending specifically.
0: The movie's version's funnier. It feels more Roger Moore. Yeah. And it set a trend for a very, very long time of end-of-Bond movie sex puns.
1: Oh my god, when did it stop? Die Another
0: Day? <sighs> There's a few of them that don't do it.
1: I know that the Neil Craig films don't do it because he's miserable and doesn't have...
0: Sex, he doesn't have fun. Yeah, occasionally um, he, he listens to Sinatra and complains about it.
1: Yeah, it was <laughs> that wasn't even a Frank Sinatra song. It was a rip-off version.
0: Yeah, I I don't remember.
1: Yeah, uh, but oh, no. but yeah, I think it was Die Another Day, which Die I think day. that's
0: the only good change they did.
1: Yeah, well, change.
0: by the by the Brosnan films, it was very done to death
1: i thought christmas only comes once a year
0: (laughs) i was thinking of the vr set from die another day with money penny oh god yeah that's where she's masturbating on the floor that's literally the worst of it that that is it's the epitome of how bad it got but i'm pretty sure they do it in moonraker
1: oh yeah oh yeah q has the best line it yeah, looks like he's attempting re-entry, sir. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> that one works because it's Q and I just, you know.
0: I know they do it in A View to a Kill. But I don't know if they... They don't do it
1: in the Dalton films. No, it's better in the Dalton films because it's... Because um, they bring something up they set up before.
0: Yes. Which works better in the in license living. to
1: kill. It was like, why don't you wait until you ask? You know, this thing, they bring back. And it's not me. just, yeah, and it's yeah. not just the sex pun, there's something more to it,
0: yeah. But I, I mean, I preferred living daylights with that. We'll, we'll get to mm-hmm. that one because that one just feels better, like it feels more natural, yeah. Um, but they do it in Brosnan's films, they do it in at least three of them now that I think about it. I don't remember the end of Tomorrow Never Dies, so they could do it in that one too. They did. He did make out with uh, what's her name? Not Lucy Liu, because I thought it was. <laughs> remember, I did that. Like, oh yeah, I thought it was Lucy Liu for the longest. It's not. She was in those. Um, oh gosh, Charlie's Angels movies that came out a little after that. Yeah, you confused
1: Charlie's Angels with Tomorrow Never Dies.
0: They look they're shot the same, all right. Those Brosnan films set the standard for what spy movies were gonna be like for a while. Because Mission Impossible One looks like Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies. Like they all look the same. Up until Triple X, Triple X tried to do something different, which didn't work at all. I don't know why people like those movies, they're really horrible. Even compared to Die Another Day, I'd rather watch that than like Triple X State of the Union, for instance. Like or the third triple X? Like, why? Hmm.
1: why I double checked by the way, it's Michelle Yo.
0: Okay. She's a good Bond girl. I liked her. And she was a good fighter in that movie. Yeah, well, she's a martial artist. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty... She did a bunch... She's in those police story Jackie Chan films. I know she's... I think she's in
1: the Star Trek Discovery show.
0: Well, that's... that's, I feel sorry. Yeah. That's horrendous. (laughs) This is what this podcast has become, you know? We just, like, ugh. Modern stuff sucks. Yeah, but what it can we do about it? John Wick doesn't suck. John Wick's pretty good. When we start the John Wick podcast.
1: Oh yeah, we get three episodes then.
0: Four. We'll review the comic.
1: Hmm.
0: That um, I think Boom Studios came out with. It's, it's mad. It's very it's Kind of a prequel, but not really. It took forever to come out. It's a five-issue mini, and it took, I think, two years to come out. They like made issue one and then didn't make any other issues, and then they was like, "Oh, I guess we finish it." Hmm. But Perfect. yeah, John, John Wick Chapter Four comes out this year, I think. Really? Oh, this year or next year? There, there is a Chapter Four. I've not seen Chapter Three, so I couldn't interesting,
1: but I missed it when they stopped at, like, a trilogy. That's just what I prefer.
0: I just, you know, I I like when something works and it feels fresh. And I'll take that until it's not fresh anymore. But anyway, that is The Spy Who Loved Me by Ian Fleming, the film, and the novelization by Christopher Woods. Which one he did... Is- it? best obviously it's ian fleming's novel (laughs) yeah easily it's the greatest thing ever no i think the novelization is better than the film but with that being said yes so to me as a whole if they were to never write any bond books after this it feels like the perfect end for the bond character like Fleming's Bond okay I can see it because he's now with he and the enemy he's come to terms with things from Casino Royale now Mm -hmm. and he's found his equal and it's nice with that being said this is you could argue this is the best war film Oh, yeah, definitely. I think most people would agree that's his best film. I personally think it's the second best. But we'll get to that next season with what I think is the best more film. But this is. Spoilers, it's a view to a kill. Obviously. No, it's Moonraker. (laughs) That's
1: an awesome one. That's basically the same movie. So I don't don't know.
0: I think, honestly, I think For Your Eyes Only is a good send-off for more, and mm-hmm. just feels very Bond-like. I like it a little more than Spy Who Loved Me. It's kind of a smaller film. More down-to-earth? It's more down-to-earth, and it just, if they were to end Bond there for the films, I wouldn't have minded. it, mm-hmm. but they didn't.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, imagine if this was the last one. This was intended as the last James Bond movie. Let's go out with a bang, and, and this definitely really would have good. been it. Mm-hmm. And it le- and it's a fun movie. At the end, it leaves you with, you know, optimism. Optimism. You had a good time. Yeah. And with a nice laugh. And now you compare it to No Time to Die. Yeah,
0: it's just different Where eras, James
1: man. Bond gets obliterated.
0: With the dodo.
1: Yeah. Imagine, imagine me. spy who loved. Imagine spy who loved me. It's the same movie. And after James Bond makes the pun,
0: the ship just explodes. <laughs> I mean, my all at that point. Like, God. I don't want there to be any more Bond films than I know what's going to happen. More bad Bond films. That's the problem. Well, we don't need the broccolis in charge anymore.
1: I don't know. Because if you take it away from... The broccoli family, it's going to go to Disney or Amazon. And like these soulless, faceless monsters in charge.
0: But the broccolis don't know what to do with it. And they haven't known what to do with it since, oh God, like
1: <sighs> the
0: world's not enough. That's...
1: I mean, that's when we got the screenwriters, Purvis and wait.
0: Yes, and that's I, the, one of the is the worst decision they've ever made, because hmm. it's taken the Bond films into a direction that doesn't really represent Bond well,
1: where it's not escapist fun anymore. No, and that's the most obvious with the Daniel Craig era, which is edgy, pretentious, and just. Like Even the good ones, like Casino Royale or Skyfall, people say are great, where it's like, yeah, well-made, good-looking, good good action, but something missing.
0: Yeah. But anyway, thank you for joining us this season of Live and Let's Discuss. I almost said paper movies. (laughs) I mean, this kind of is. We talked about a novelization. Well, I have to record a paper movies single cut after this for The Spy Who Loved Me nice. Which is a single cut, so it'll be five minutes. That seems to be our our goal. So check out Paper Movies on uh, wherever you can get podcasts, where we, not only do we do a book club, but one of us hosts will take a novelization that maybe the other hosts don't have or we wouldn't have time to read. And we just discuss it briefly. We do a quick review of it. And, yeah. I wanted to get pretty much they aren't very in-depth reviews because they're supposed to be under 10 minutes but yeah they're fun get a general overview of the book and our thoughts so and then of course if you want more of our thoughts you can obviously come here for any bond stuff but yeah anyway um this was fun yeah we're gonna take a hiatus for a little bit. And, and we'll
1: then we will hop. triumphantly return with Moonraker, one of the closest adaptations of an Ian Fleming novel.
0: <laughs> but we have the same situation we have with this one again. Yep. Another really long one. But you know, whatever. Hey, we le- this is season 1. We left with like a big bang, you know, feel happy. I wonder how season 2 will end. Oh, die another day. Oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, that one ends
1: with a big bang.
0: Yeah, anyway, have a good one.